welcome to episode 328 of No Challenges Remaining. I'm Ben Rothenberg, joined live from Dubai by NCR's intrepid Middle East and North Africa correspondent, Reem Abu Lail. Reem, thank you for being here. How does it feel being back as queen of your beat on site with people all around and everything this year? Hey, thank you for having me, first of all. We haven't done this in a while. It's been fun. It's been so fun, actually. I don't know. It's almost. I, f- I feel. I felt like a rookie the first day. Like I. F- I felt like I was doing things for the first time in in a very long time, two years to be exact. It's been great, honestly. And I couldn't have asked for a better week to be honest to come back to because we've had amazing weather. The venue here is so cute. I love it. It's so nice. Everything's so close. The the field. The WTA field was amazing. The matches were so good. Even like you go to the outside courts and catch really good matches. The turnout has been great as well, and I think it's because fans are kind of just grateful that, that the tennis is back. It's, this is one of the best attended women's weeks I've experienced since I've ever come here. Hmm. Because from the very early rounds, there were always people in the stands and people in the outside courts and people catching doubles and things like that. And actually, there have been no restrictions in terms of this is the first tournament where there, there, is no, there aren't any, there is no Zoom setup. So there's no remote access. So basically, if you want to cover this tournament, you need to be on site. And that's kind of the direction both tours are going towards at the moment. Like, I think they canceled Zooms from last week. Unless, obviously, a tournament is being held somewhere where people are not allowed to be on site. So, like, I know that Doha are still strict. The Qatar Open is going to have remote access. But in general... Most tournaments are not going to have remote access. So it's been interesting because there's no hybrid situation in the pressers. You literally walk in, the player's right in front of you, you, you can film, you can speak with them, you do your one-on-ones, you do your pressers, and there's no Zoom, and they leave. And they're so relieved. <laughs> they are, you have no <laughs> idea how relieved they are. It's been kind so, of a theme where everyone is like, oh, we're done. Oh, no Zoom. Oh, you're here. Like It's, it's been pretty cool getting that kind of reaction from players. This is, I might sound like a simple question, but just let listeners sort of understand it better. Like, how different does it feel trying to do your job being able to actually be in the same room with players than what we've been doing for the past two years? Honestly, I didn't even expect it to be that different because I just, because I got so used to the Zooms and, you yeah. know, I, I hate them. We all hate them. And uh, you get muted on Zoom right away and it's very difficult to ask follow up questions and, and, and. Now it's literally you're just having a conversation with the player. To the even with the smallest thing like uh, with Ostapenko, I hadn't seen her in a long time, and the AT the WTA website has her uh, has her down as working with Hockstead, which she hasn't in a very long time. Apparently, they they haven't been worked together for a year. But I actually don't know the name of her coach. And when you Google it, it's impossible to find anyone reporting the name of Ostapenko's coach. So mm-hmm. the the simplest thing where I just wanted a quick clarification when she she said my coach my coach a few times I'm like Elena who is your coach and she's like oh yeah his name is Stanislav like Kromsky I'm probably gonna say the name wrong but he used to mm-hmm. coach Dolgopolov and literally there is nowhere on the internet where you can get this piece of information right. and she's been with him for a year. And it didn't require me hitting a button and waiting to be called upon again and wasting a whole question on just finding out who her coach's name is. I literally just was like, hey, like, who's your coach, blah, 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 and we moved on. And these are small things that actually make a difference. (laughs) Um, Completely. So it's, and also just the facial expressions of the players. And like today, 
I would like up close and personal with Kadermatova, who doesn't really give away much. Usually, she 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 doesn't show her emotions at all. But she she looked crushed after that final losing to Ostapenko in the final, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But like, I could see how she was really struggling to keep a brave face about it, and also how she was like, I really had a very emotionally draining week and all of that. I don't think this would have come across at all in a Zoom, you know, like it was very different. Yeah. And she might have just not have been as open or, you know, vulnerable on a video call exactly. also. Yeah. Because they don't know who they're talking to. You know what surprised me? Jessica Pegula. I've spoken to her so many times on Zooms in the last few months. Okay. Like whether mm-hmm. this year or last year or whatever, especially in Australia, I spoke to her a lot and it was like a small room, just me and Courtney, but virtually obviously. And we had lovely conversations. And then when she saw me here, she didn't know who I was. (laughs) So she was like, oh, I remember you from Dubai before. And she said, ah, usually Dubai has different people. And I was like, I'm not different people. (laughs) No, it's true. It's totally, it's totally disconnected for, for players and for us. And like, I don't think the players appreciated necessarily how different it was on some way or how much, like how much less human it felt. In some ways, because mm-hmm. they've all in Australia in, in the U.S. Open, which are both tournaments I've been at, where U.S. Open was just main room where you could be with the players face to face, and Australian Open you could do one on ones face to face and everything. And yeah, I just think that they like they're getting it back together. And you're right, yeah, like Pagula is not like she's not someone who's like you know remotely ditzy or anything who doesn't know faces. It's just like, but it's just at such all. a total. She's such a total. It's a total disconnect to have someone, and this is part of what was so tough for players. Yeah. This whole time. I didn't blame her at all. And I told her, I was like, by the way, I'm the one who was talking to you in Australia all the time. And she's like, oh my God, yeah. Like, but it was it was funny, right? And also I have to say, in terms of like get how, the way just being able to do better stories, I had a one-on-one with Danielle Collins mm-hmm. uh be- the day before the tournament started. And when she walked in, she came into the room with her mentor. He was with her, who's Marty Schneider who is someone yeah. we have never met. I mean, he was in Australia. Not many people probably spoke to him. I don't think he's spoken to anybody. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know what mentor meant. I, I was always curious, like, what does mentor mean? Like, she she spoke about him a few times. She thanked him in her trophy ceremony. And I'm curious because, you know, she doesn't have a coach. So if you want to speak to someone on Danielle's team, you kind of, it's slim pickings. It's like there aren't that many people yeah. you can speak to. So he was with us in the room and I asked her about him. And then she said... Maybe you can ask Marty more questions. He, he would be better placed to answer some of your questions. So I looked at him immediately in the room and I was like, Marty, if you don't mind, when we're done here, let's set up a time. And he was like, sure. And Danielle was there and she was okay with it. And that would never have happened right. if I was in a Zoom. It's all right? so much more organic. When he, and yeah. 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 And then immediately he took my phone number. He, we were both staying at the same hotel on site. He messaged me the next day. We met in the lobby, spoke for 20 minutes. He was very interesting, made my piece all the more richer. Even after that, when Danielle pulled out because she, she got dizzy on court and stuff, we were, we were, I wasn't really able to follow up that day what happened with her. The next day, he, Marty had messaged me just to say thanks and that he loved the piece and whatever. And I was like, is Danielle okay? He's like, she's better today. Hopefully better tomorrow. That already is a connection that I did not have. Yeah. And it helps me a lot, just knowing her better and everything. And just these small things. One thing is we don't, I don't have access that I usually have at this tournament where I, for some reason, I'm, I don't have access to the players lounge and the outdoor mm-hmm. gym and that kind of stuff, which is something that has to change moving forward because it doesn't make sense. But uh, so it's not as easy 
to to kind of just roam around and get everything you need and all the practice courts a lot of them you don't have access to them and stuff which is not great but um but at least because i am staying at the same hotel so when you're going back and forth you are able to kind of stop a coach if you need them and stuff yeah player lounge is the big missing thing uh, tournament so far i don't know that any tournaments have reopened up that access which we used to have and that makes it so again for our job of trying to communicate these players as fully and you know accurately and truthfully and as possible like those sort of things really do help both sides a lot so hopefully that comes back comes back soon you might actually i, I was gonna ask you about, about danielle because i love that piece that you wrote and we'll link it in the description here of the episode what was what was your impression of her she's obviously been someone who talk, got talked about a lot uh, after her run in australia what was your impression of her uh, just talking to her I think she was a bit guarded. I think Danielle is the kind yep. of person who it might take some time for her to... Because she, she did recognize that we spoke in Australia and stuff. Uh, a few things. One of the things I noticed immediately is that she has totally moved on from her Australian Open run. She doesn't want to talk about it. She feels it's already been covered. She shot me down immediately as soon as I spoke about it. Like She, mm-hmm. she was like, it's done. I need to move forward. It's still the beginning of the season. I have so many goals looking ahead. And it's kind of the mindset she's trying to keep. She she seems like she's in a very zen mode and she's trying to, which I know doesn't doesn't match her on court persona at all. But she's very careful of the mindset she wants to keep herself in when she's off court. It it was very obvious, you know, like don't don't throw her off by asking something she doesn't want to talk about or things like that. She will have no problem shooting you down, which I respected. I was totally fine and honestly, I would. I kind of wanted to talk about about the future with her and other stuff rather than dwell on Australia. One thing is like I I obviously spoke to her about like are you getting new deals? Are you going to get an agent? Are you going to have all the perks that you should have as a Grand Slam finalist? And and that's something she's basically going to announce very soon. And Marty said the same thing as well. Marty is basically a person who's just a friend of hers at this point. He start what he does is he helps people. Obviously, people can read the piece, so I'm not gonna say everything that's in it. But basically, it, he early on he helped her as someone coming out of college, trying to turn pro. He, he these are the kind of players he helps. He believes in education. He believes in college tennis players, and he likes to help the ones who are transitioning to the pro tour. And that's how he got to know her yeah. in twenty. Yeah, he helps them financially in the beginning, and he helps them create an environment. Uh, where they can become pros so if they need an agent he can help them with that getting an agent if they need anything basically he tries to help them create an environment and at this point with Danielle that's not his role anymore because she's already been a pro for several years and everything he's just a friend and a sounding board and someone who could travel with her a little bit while she gets people to travel with her again Uh, so she will have a fitness trainer who will travel with her soon and she will have, or a physio, one or the other, I don't remember. And she will be signing with an agent very soon. Uh, and and Marty says that he has no doubt that she's going to have all the deals and everything that you would expect from someone who's in the top 10 or just outside the top 10. Yeah, this is a phenomenon that I think we probably don't cover enough about these emerging players, how crucial it is to have sort of the angel investor kind of person there to get them off the ground. So many players have these stories of people uh, who who believed in them? Who gave you know fronted them money, gave them loans or just gifts or or things or got, set up them with coaches or places to train or whatever else uh, early on. Um, and it's yeah, it's this layer of the sport that it's been really it's been really nice seeing Danielle really foreground her her gratitude for the role he's played because a lot of players 
uh, don't make it essential to sort of how they how they you know describe their their journey and actually the unique thing about him because like you said with others they're more investors and they eventually expect to have a return on their investment whereas with this guy this is philanthropy for him he yeah. he actually used to be a hedge fund guy and and made all his money already and just one of this is just one of the things he does in terms of philanthropy he does other stuff as well so and he's very specific what i liked and because i had just done a piece with a college tennis player who just graduated he was ranked number one in the isaiah rankings last year he's lebanese and i had just finished speaking to him like days before i spoke to marty and the guy was telling the player was his name is hedi hedi was telling me exactly what marty was telling me he's like the jump from having everything at your disposal in college from facilities, from physios, from coaches, from everything. You have every resource possible to make you the best version of a tennis player that you can be while being a student. You go from that and you have teammates and stuff and support and you you play all these college matches with a lot of fans and stuff. And then he's like, you go from that to the ITF and it's a grind and you're alone and you can't even afford a coach and you don't know what you're doing and you go to places where there's no fans and it's like the complete opposite. And that's what Marty was saying, is that he wants to help players with that transition because it is brutal and they do need guidance. So, yeah, I really like what he's doing. Very cool. Yeah, and and, and that player you're mentioning just had, had a good match against Yuri Vesely in, uh, in Doha this week. Mm. Yeah, yeah, or, he took, I have a surprise because he, he Dubai, was so lost in the first uh, In Dubai, yeah, today. In he Dubai, played yeah. this morning. Mm. Yuri Vesely obviously is not an easy draw by any means. And... That guy, he's like now at 420 in the world. He's won a few ITFs. He's not experienced at this level at all. Lost the first set 6-1, came back, took the the second one 7-5. Had one sloppy service game in the final set and lost in three sets. So good on him. So the tennis itself in Dubai, the women's tennis, was really fun. Like you said, loaded, loaded draw. Collins had just made the Australian Open final. was number 11. It wasn't even seeded in the initial draw. She only got seeded when there was a withdrawal eventually from the tournament. Actually, she was out of the, you know what? She was not even in the draw. She was playing right, qualies, right. and she got yeah, she, in a day before the tournament. Would they have given her a main draw wild card, or did they think they, they knew she was going to get in? Because I was, I, I thought it was crazy that she didn't get like an early wild card game. No, no, she wasn't. Get, no, she didn't get a wild card. She got in because someone else. Uh, no, I'm, I know what I'm saying. Would she have gotten a wild card, mm, do you think? I don't think so. I mean... They were set with their wild cards. And I wow. knew Danielle was in qualies because she was on the qualies list. Yeah. And actually, when I put in the request for her, she was supposed to play qualies on Saturday. And she agreed to do the interview anyway after her qualies match. And then when she got in, we still met on the same day, but like she didn't have a match. So no, I don't think she was going to get a wild card. It's so crazy having an 11th ranked player playing qualies. It's nuts. <laughs> but anyway, so but but that's because the draw was this strong. Even someone, because this was a pre-Australia open ranking list you know but even then she was seated in australia so she was still a a very much a a real player this field's really really good like a lot of you know wta fields a lot of the seeds went down on one day this happens you know like uh krejcikova lost to yashremska i think it's the biggest shock of all uh kudermetova beat mugarutsa taikin beat svitolina that day kudova beat sabalenka which is not really you know not a huge shock we know who kudova is Um, but the one who kept on delivering the shocks all week was yelena ostapenko who in the first round beat Kennan, then Sviantek, then Kvitova, then Halep to make the final by beating four Grand Slam champions in her four matches there, which kind of speaks to the depth of WTA right now and how the wealth is spread around. And then she again looked amazing in this final today, 
blowing away the first set, six love and winning six love, six four in the end. Uh, what was the week in, in Penko like? Because this was sort of because she has a cult following in tennis fandom for sure. And like this week was sort of a reminder why in a lot of ways, like when she's peaking, it's it's pretty incredible. Well, it was like a roller coaster. Her first few, not the Canon match, but the she had three matches in a row where she came back from a set down. She was down a set against Iga, down a set against Petra, down a set against Halep. And she just managed to, it was bizarre because she somehow, you wouldn't necessarily associate Penko with patience, but yeah. she was patient. <laughs> she was like, it's fine. I, like, even when she was talking about the Halep match, she was like, Praj was asking, Praj is a journalist for Times of India. She was asking her like, do you have a plan B? Like if plan A is not working and you lose a set, do you have a plan B? And she was like, no, the plan, the plan B is to do plan A better. <laughs> like, she's like, I know that if I keep hitting, it's going to work. She's like, I have that confidence in me at the moment where even if I'm missing in the first set or I'm not really stepping in, I know I'm going to get there. And that's the, that's the sense I got from her the whole week is that she's been very confident. And of course, with every win, she's getting more and more confident. I think she she thrives in these big matches. She likes playing the higher ranked players. I was particularly impressed that in the final, where she's kind of considered the favorite, she was still able to bring it. I think that was cool because it's different when you're, you know, you're playing all these Grand Slam champions in a row, but then suddenly you're up against Kudermetova. You never know, right? But she was impressive. I mean, that first set was scary. What do you think, this is obviously somewhat an impossible question, but like she has been steadily building better. This result is not totally out of nowhere, as much as Penko always does kind of have that vibe to her. Um, she's up to number 13 in the rankings after this. Like she's building solid results in her way. Do you think that she can like threaten to win a, a second Grand Slam title this year? Look, I know I know you spoke about this a little bit in Courtney's Twitter space yesterday, or I don't know if it was yours or whatever. I joined halfway, but... I agree with what Courtney said in the sense of she is talking in a very different way, even if maybe she's saying the same things, but the tone is very different, which is how ambitious she is at the moment. She, she does, she's like, I just want to, I know I can do even better than I was before. I was world number five before, I can do better. And she does have these concrete ranking goals, which for her, like, she finds very important, which not everybody says them. I'm sure all the players have these ranking goals, even if they say we don't care about the ranking, but they don't always vocalize it that way. She She's super vocal about it. Mm-hmm. And one thing she did say, which stood out to me, was that she feels pressure-free. She's like, I suffered from a lot of pressure after I won my French Open in 2017, and nothing will ever compare to that pressure. And that's why I'm feeling like I'm swinging freely and able to do what I'm doing right now. And she has so much belief in her game. Like, she really believes in her game. Maybe in the past it wasn't warranted. Maybe it was. Right now, she's like, I can blow anyone off the court. And we know that she can miss. And apparently she doesn't mind it anymore. She's like, it's fine. Even if I miss, I still have room to recover. And that's what we saw this week. I don't know how she can keep it up. Of course, it's not an It's like Petra, you know. Petra can blow anyone off the court as well. Yeah. And she can be unplayable. Hashtag Petra's victims, like Belinda Benchich said, you know. But I feel we're going to see more weeks like this one from her. Is she going to do it at a slam? It's tricky. I don't know. But why not? I mean, she made semis at Wimbledon after she won, the year after she won Roland Garros. Right. So it wasn't a one-off. That's an underrated result. And she even made quarters at, at, at Wimbledon the tournament after 
Roland Garros or the slam after. That's true. Like she That's and true. she has yeah she and she made the Miami final in 2018. Like and she yeah. won yeah she won a she won she won Seoul the same year I think she won mm-hmm. the French. Uh, she now has five titles, which I guess like okay if you're thinking from 2017 till now, you would expect her to have won more than five titles. But I definitely feel that with this with the semis in Saint Petersburg and then title here, I I feel like we're gonna see more a bit more consistent results from her. I I feel yeah. like she's better. She says she's very happy with her coaching situation. She's she's very happy with where her, her head is at. I don't know if that's a state of mind that she can lose quickly or not. But what I can see is that she's very ambitious right now. Yeah, very cool. You know, it's cool to see, and it's it's good for tennis to have her because it's just like jaw dropping when she's peaking like this like the return winners she hits with such disdain <laughs> just looks yeah. like so easy it's just it's just it's just no, cool no, no. so it's, it's like swatting it's, flies she does it literally as if it's just like she's swatting flies it's just, it's like a video game that's set it, way too easy or something it's the way exactly like and it's like it's she does it in a very casual way and also if you saw her on court this uh, week she's always laughing she looks at her team and laughs she's like I don't know, like she can get angry and all these things, but there is a bit of a casualness to the way she's been playing. She's and playful, I think, also, I think, yeah. Yeah, which I like. You can tell she's having fun. She really yeah. is. And in press, she's laughing and she's having a good time. Obviously, it's easy to have a good time when you're winning. But um, I don't know. I, I like, and, and she's bringing also the whole combative persona, even in the press room. Like the way when she was talking about Halep and she's like, yeah, I remember that, like, when I'm stepping in and playing my game, she can't handle my pace. Like, she knows what she's saying. She's saying that on purpose. She knows what she's saying. And, like, after the Iga match, the first thing she's like, yeah, those Polish fans were not very nice. They shouldn't uh, applaud the double faults. This is not a football match. That's not okay. And then the next day when it was Petra, she was like, did you see the Czech fans were very polite? They were not clapping for my double faults. <laughs> so she's like, I'm not kidding. She's keeping track. <laughs> Wonderful. No, I love I love the swagginess. This is actually something you were on briefly in Courtney's marathon Twitter spaces. It went for like seven hours yesterday. Um, but Jennifer Brady was on there near the end. Uh, right when Courtney's phone died, the whole thing abruptly shut down. Mercifully, probably for Courtney, because it's been going on for seven hours. Uh, but we were talking, one of the things we we're talking about is sort of being like swaggier in press and how like players can talk more about how how they win matches actually in the sort of way that mm. you know that jocks think about how they just pick apart people's games and can dominate people and and, and Ospenko in her own way very much has that and I think it's refreshing and honest to see that because certainly lots of I love it I love it honestly she she's speaking her it. mind yeah 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 exactly she does she's not pretending anything she's like this is how I am I don't care like it's, uh, I don't know I found it very refreshing and I found it nice that you have different personalities like that and also, Simona, when given the chance to respond, Simona responded because Simona was like, I remember beating her like in Beijing easily and it was fine after that. And I also think that there are other players who hit the, a bigger ball than Ostapenko. She said that. So like it even forced Simona to kind of be like, hold on, hold on here. <laughs> right. Which is which is what we should. I mean, not everything should just be like, oh, you know, she's so good. I'll have to play my best. Like there should be a little, you know, I, I, pre- I, I appreciate that kind of injection from Penko in the right doses. I want to ask about Kudermetova, who uh, is not a player I feel like I actually know very well. I was thinking when she was giving her speech that I like hadn't heard her talk that much when she was giving her runner-up speech today in the trophy ceremony. Um, she's just, for whatever reason, her sort of rise has come during 
pandemic time, I guess, largely. And she's hasn't, her results haven't aligned with tournaments that I've been more dialed into. And so I'm curious what you can sort of t- say about, about her. She had two good wins to start the tournament, obviously against Azarenka, then Muguruza. Uh, got a walk over in the semis after beating Teichman in the quarters. Um, what do you make of her as a, as a player and also sort of as a, a personality? You were saying she's pretty, pretty poker-faced? I think she's very shy. That's yeah. the, she, she's genuinely shy. Like when you speak with her, you can even tell like she wants to say something and then halfway through she starts giggling a little bit and looks away. And I, I think she's also, because like you said, her rise was during pandemic times, she's also not used to having face-to-face interactions with media. She's probably yeah. more used to Zooms than not. Um, so it's not very easy to get to know her. You have, you have to ask so many questions and spend a lot of time with her, which I haven't had that much time with her. Um, what I can say is that this week meant so much to her because she says that her wins over Azarenka and Mogurutha have given her a certain sense of confidence that she belongs among these players and she can beat these players. This is something that she didn't believe that she could do. She felt like she would let herself down in the big matches. Like she lost to Simona in the final in the Melbourne Somerset tournament earlier this year. And she felt like she didn't, couldn't bring her game. And she had a couple of really tough doubles losses last year, too. She lost in the final Wimbledon uh, with Vesnina 9-7 in the third. And then also with Vesnina in the Olympics bronze medal match 11-9 in the super tiebreak. So she's had some close calls. Who did she lose to in uh, at the Australian Open last month? Do you remember? Uh, she I, I can't remember lost right to. I will check. She lost to Sakari four and one. Sakari, yes, and she did say that today. So she was saying like I I lost the the matches I lost this year have been to big players, but I felt like I didn't bring my game, and then. For her, it was a bit of a redemption, the fact that she could play Azarenka big and beat her and that she could beat Muguruza as well. So that meant a lot to her. So she was obviously disappointed that she couldn't play well against Ostapenko, but she said it was a very emotionally draining week for her. So she said she wasn't ready mentally at all or energy-wise at all for the final. And she's also, like she like Penko, she, she made it to the doubles final as well. So she was she's been playing a lot of matches this week. So it kind of explains why she maybe wasn't very ready for that final. But but yeah, I think that for her, it, it might end up being a very important week for her here just because kind of like with Krejcikova last year, making it to the Dubai final and beating a lot of big players and stuff like she, it meant a lot to her and kind of changed her mindset moving forward. And I feel like that maybe we can see that with Kudermatova moving forward. Yeah, her big result in her career was winning uh, Charleston last year. That's her main sort of singles result for sure. And yeah. so she has but had, she's like she won three in finals now, like in yeah. singles finals now. Yeah. And that was sort of, that was an odd, bit of an odd tournament. Like she played Kovanich in the final. It wasn't like the biggest uh, blockbuster yeah. event in some ways. Although she did have good wins before that. She beat Sloan and Bedosa. Uh, so, you know, not, not a gimme, but still not the sort of, with that being a closed door tournament, just kind of a different vibe. So this is a good sort of coming out in some ways for her uh, as she moves forward. Okay. So Dubai is unique, relatively unique in that it, has uh back-to-back tournaments and so now dubai shifts gears to the men um and we're going to talk a bit about the uh the top seed obviously who's coming back or playing his first match of the year but bream i guess what is the sort of what are your thoughts on the men's field overall before we hone in on uh novak Djokovic? well when the draw was made today i was like oh wow we have another kind of similar ish week to the women's with the women we had like eight of the top 10 
With the men, we have four of the top 10, eight of the top 16. It's still a very strong draw. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's so many like ridiculous first rounds. Like you have a Demonor against Khashanov, and like her cash has uh, Bublik. Bublik, yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's so many good ones. Like uh, Rublev has Evans, that's not going to be easy for him. Uh, I think Felix has Fucevic. Fucevic always play, plays well here. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it's it's a sack draw in general, quite a strong draw. Andy Murray is here, is here as well. He gets a qualifier, so it's kind of, he got the. the I feel like the easiest draw he possibly could get here. Yep. Uh, looking at the rest of it, uh, Sinner also has someone I can't remember right now. Uh, Davidovich Fokina. Yeah, that's not also that's also not an easy first no. round. Uh, so yeah, there's a whole but there's like Baselashvili also against the seed Shapo, I think, right? Shapo Baselashvili is it? Uh, Shapo Baselashvili. Uh, no, no. Uh, Oji Alasim plays Baselashvili, and then uh, yeah, Shapo exactly. plays. Uh, Fucevic and they're in the same Fucevic, quarter Fucevic exactly so I swapped them yeah yeah exactly so uh, in general it's a stack draw and actually Novak plays Muzetti who was given a wild card mm-hmm. and he then would get the winner of Khashanov Dimonor and then he would get Bautista who I think won Doha today or at least was up a set within the last set Bautista did win Bautista did win over Bautista yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then he would get Bautista in the quarters possibly and then he would have Chapo or Felix and semis. It's not an easy draw. <laughs> These are people who have been playing very well. Quick aside on Roberto Batista. He won. He, he, this was his 17th career final at a 250. Like, that's just a lot of consistency. That's pretty impressive. He's made two other finals. And he won uh, Dubai. He won Dubai before. Yeah. He won Dubai. Dubai has won 500 final and title. And then he may also made a final of a... Uh, I want to say Shanghai, the one other Masters event. Uh, yeah. As well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But the 17, 250 finals. So I was like, that's a lot. That's, that's, that's a lot of quantity right there. But yeah. good on him for winning a, a ninth title. It's obviously put together a very, very solid career for himself. Uh, one before, last thing before I get to Djokovic, like, how much does it seem like there's much more of a competition for Dubai with Abu Dhabi, with, sorry, with Acapulco right now? Because Acapulco's fields have been really good these last like four or five years. In the same week. As, ever since Acapulco switched to hard, it obviously has taken like taken a lot of the shine off of the Dubai Men's Week. Yeah. Because it, there was it was no contest when it was clay, and then when it became hard, it was. Uh, I know that the, the tournaments here were, were not happy at all. Yeah. I think they're still salty about that. Because they have Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas in it all in in their their top yeah. seeds. Yeah. Well, and usually here they would. They would compensate for that by and not even say compensate, it's a stupid word, but like they they were they were always happy having Roger and Novak yeah. and maybe Andy and maybe Stan who came and won before and like Monfils, he's always a huge draw crowd here, but Monfils pulled out right before this tournament. Not sure what's wrong with him, but he pulled out of Doha and Dubai, so there must be something wrong. Um but anyway, this this year it's a bit different, but also we were talking about this yesterday. Is it a good thing or a bad thing to have two tournaments compete with each other? I think your point of saying that when it's two different time zones, that really helps. So I think with, with the case with Acapulco and Dubai, anytime at any day when someone switches on their TV and they have a tennis channel or whatever, they are going to find some tennis. I think that's cool. And also with the 32 draw, there's only so many top 10 players you would want in that draw. It gets yeah. ridiculous. Like, with the women, it honestly felt like the Hunger Games. Like, I was like, this is crazy. Every, it's every, yeah. every single match. There and are then they turn- had on the outside. Sorry. 
I was just gonna say, I think tournaments can be too loaded. I think there is, that is possible. There is such a thing for sure. Yeah, especially in a 32 draw. I mean, yeah. there were outside, ma- like on the outside courts, there was a, the Zviontek Ostapenko match was on court one. It wasn't even on center court. And it wasn't even for, because of poor scheduling or anything. It's just like how it had to be, you know? Because here in Dubai, if, if you're a two-time champion like Zvitalina, you're getting center court. Like they're not yeah. going to put you on court one no matter what, irrespective of where you're seating. But there were really good matches. And the qualities matches were insane. You, you had Anisimova-Brengo first round. I mean, Anisimova lost first round of qualities, which is not a result you would expect. And there was Ayla Tomljanovic. Every single match she played was difficult. She had a match against Heather Watson in qualities that lasted three and a half hours. Mm. And it was really good. <laughs> like, there were some really good matches from qualies till the very end. And it was too much. Like, I, it was exciting for me. And because, like I said, it's my first tournament back and I'm very excited. And it was really cool to have all these good matches. But it would have been exhausting if there were more, if there is more of that next week. And I think there will be. Like, some of the matches are going to be really good. But there is a bit of a balance because there is another tournament happening in the same week. Yeah. No, for sure. I don't mind it. No, it, it's. I think it's. It's still a plenty good tournament. It's still for that kind of draw. Like you get to showcase the people, right? You don't, and it can feel kind of awkward to have things like Shvantec Ostapenko on an outer court or a secondary court uh, when that's two recent Grand Slam champions going at it. So we've alluded to Novak Djokovic is the top seed in Dubai. This will be his first tournament of the year after the entire deportation saga that he experienced after getting to Australia and not want to play in that tournament. He entered Dubai. Dubai, I guess, does not have a vaccination requirement to enter the tournament. Uh, what is, or the country, or the city, what is the vibe around Djokovic arrival at the tournament? And what is this sort of tournament doing to, to prepare for him? Honestly, I feel like it's going to be an absolute circus because the, the, the hype before he even came, like the, the, the number of emails and messages and DMs and everything possible that I am getting personally just about Djokovic in anticipation of Djokovic's arrival and then he arrived and then anticipation of the first press conference. It's been insane. And everyone is messaging me from editors to other journalists trying to get information to videographers trying to figure out a way to get video of that press conference to you have no idea. Like it's been a pain, honestly. And I don't, right now, usually, the Dubai tournament is very, very, uh, every year it's the exact same schedule, meaning the draw is always on Saturday at noon or 1 p.m. And media day, which is usually the top four seats, is always the Sunday before the tournament for Women's Week and Men's Week. And it's always around 1 p.m. in the same spot. It's in the eighth floor in the on-site hotel. There's a little pool and there's like a little bar and they they clear it out for us. And this is where we do press. That's not going to be the case this time. <laughs> Novak is not doing press in that place and is not doing press at that same time. Actually, they kept it a secret all day long. And they told they told a few journalists, not everyone, they're restricting it to about 25 journalists that he's they told us at night, like they told us Saturday night that he's doing press on, on Sunday. Mm. So they kind of kept it a secret. Like, even when I got in touch with Novak's agent to ask her, she's like, they're, it's going to be in the evening, but they're going to announce soon. You know, like even she wouldn't tell me directly. And then they're saying that they're not going to allow video, which is not usually the case. ATP no. 500s, you can take video. Uh, and honestly, 
the way I see it is if you're going to have a press conference, then have a press conference. A press conference is made for press and press is not just written press. You can have TV crews, you can have this, that, whatever, uh, unless you just cancel it altogether. For me, just cancel it. Just say he's not doing pre-tournament press. You know what I mean? And just have him do after his first match. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be. I feel like it might be a bit of a circus tomorrow because I think there's so many people who are going to try to get into that press conference who aren't one of those 25 journalists or they have camera crews or you have this or that. I'm not looking forward to this whole circus at all. But in another way, I'm happy he's doing pre-tournament press because just from a selfish perspective... I'd rather we all get all of the vaccine questions out of the way and all of his whole situation out of the way so that at least when the tournament starts, we can at least discuss tennis with him at some point. This is ultimately his first tournament of the year. He's actually might lose his number one ranking this week, which is a talking point at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. Because if Medvedev wins Acapulco, he gets it. But there are also other scenarios, even if Medvedev doesn't win, kind of if he outperforms Djokovic, basically, in their respective tournaments. He, yeah. he would get it. So there are talking points. And I'm so over the whole other stuff. <laughs> well, because he's done, he's also done a lot of press about it, right? Like between the BBC interview and his visit to Expo, to the Serbia Pavilion with his Novak Djokovic Foundation, he's done a lot of press in the last week. So I'm happy to be like, okay, let's ask all the follow-ups we have. But at some point, can we please talk about the tennis? Do you think that, I'll ask about the BBC interview. This is maybe a way of asking about the BBC interview, but there st- are there still questions you have that you think should be should be asked? I think a lot of the follow-ups were asked in the Serbian media stuff that he did at Expo, which Sasha Osmo translated some of it and some other people mm-hmm. translated some of it. I think that there are things he's probably not going to answer. Like the most basic question of what exactly is making you scared of this vaccine? He doesn't really answer it. He doesn't say, for example, I read this research. Like, for example, I have a lot of friends who are like a lot of women under 40. In Egypt, we only have the the AstraZeneca uh, available for us for a very long time. So I know a lot of women who are just scared of getting blood clots. So even if it's a small percentage of the risk is very low or this or that, they read research that made them believe that this is scary. So they have a very specific thing to cite, you know? Yeah. Whereas with Novak, he's not specific. Uh, he just says that I, I always like to triple check everything that's coming in my body. But he right. didn't say, for example, I'm scared because of this or that or that. That's one thing I feel that could be answered. And maybe he doesn't want to answer it. And it's up to him, ultimately, if he has his own reasons, whatever. But he he did, he did was asked so many things. Like he was, he was asked about the... He, he, he reiterated his regret over sitting with Frank from L'Equipe while he had COVID, like he, mm-hmm. he said it, he was asked about it again. And he did say again that that was a mistake. He did talk about the refugees in the in the hotel detention hotel he was at in Australia. Like there was a lot of things that he discussed, I guess, because that was in Serbian. We, we should ask them in English just to, yeah. to speak with him about that. But uh, at some point, it's over, honestly. And one thing, I don't know if I was talking to you about that. I don't remember anymore. But like, the whole thing about him missing tournaments because of his vaccination status, we actually don't know in detail which tournaments will allow him and which cities will allow him because there are so many countries and cities with policies that have exceptions. You know what right. I mean? This they is, give exceptions is, for different reasons. This is the sort of thing that is, I expect to drive me the most nuts about this. It's going to be in every tournament he wants to play, examination, or could even play, want to play, 
like a sort of check of like what the rules are and how things are changing and local and federal and tournament rules exactly. and tour rules and grand slam rules. And like, there's just so many more hoops that we're gonna have to navigate so long as he chooses to stay unvaccinated. And that sort of, and also, and also people are asking me, I'm sure they're asking you like, oh, what, what does this mean for Wimbledon? Like, well, we don't know what Wimbledon's rules are gonna be, uh, you know, four months from now. It, it's a long time, potentially in the pandemic. We don't know what kind of variants are gonna happen or anything like that, or what the sentiment will be or if vaccine mandates are they're getting eased a lot of places in the US. We'll see. I, I just don't know, but it's still it still makes it an issue so long as he stays on that side of the line. And now that he's the only person in the top hundred, it's even more sort of like it's just it takes, I don't know. I, I just find it all exhausting. Listen, it is, but at the end of the day for me, I find it also funny that all the headlines are already Novak might not play the slams, blah blah blah, when we actually don't know what the rules are. And I have a feeling I have a feeling because I do know a lot of unvaccinated people it, and I, they're traveling, they're doing stuff. And I just think that it's actually going to be a very, very small number of tournaments where he's going to struggle to play. That's just my sense. The way, I just think that it's easy to make these bold statements that, oh my God, like Novak's not going to play slams when already Wimbledon said that he can play. Like the even in the BBC interview, I saw one of the programs that were talking about the BBC interview on the BBC and they had like whatever is equivalent to a minister of health in the UK. I don't know what they would call him. And he obviously urged Novak to get the vaccine, but he didn't say that he can't come. So in general, I'm getting the sense that it's just so easy to jump to conclusion at the moment. But I think that Novak's going to be able to play in a lot of places. I think so, too. I mean, and Dubai, he's already able to play. And like, so he's going to be able to play some places. It's not clear, I, I don't know about the U.S. tournaments, if he, you know, he's going to be able to play Indian Wells in Miami, because I think you do need a vaccine to get across the U.S. border. But at the same time, I'm so I'm No, just but saying, the U.S. border, personally. all you need is a PCR test. Are you I sure? Mean, I, yeah, to, just to get into the U.S. Maybe every state is different, but like that's another thing. You'd be surprised that so, not many countries have a, ma- a vaccine mandate. Anyway, I, I what yeah. I'm saying there is I'm just like sick of having to think about this stuff because it's just like especially yeah, just for I one. Mean, I, I, whole, I understand, I understand how relevant and how great he is, but like just for one person, it's it's a lot. It's I'm just over this. It is, it is a lot, and to be honest, it affects. I, I don't want. I bet you that in every presser with other players that are not Novak, they're all going to be asked again. I mean, Ons apparently was asked by the BBC in a one-on-one by BBC Arabic, and then BBC Arabic end up giving it to the other BBC versions. So Mm. someone tweeted at me as if on purpose I didn't share what one said about Novak. I actually didn't know because I wasn't in the room because it was a one-on-one. I mean, Mm. literally, the the piece says Ons told BBC, you know? But anyway, Ons actually was asked about Novak, which I feel like is such an irrelevant thing. But at the end of the day, this is going to happen. All the players are going to keep getting asked. Yeah. And she said that, like, like I, uh, I actually respect that he's sticking to his guns and that, like, he's going all the way with this. Like, this is what he believes in. It's fine, blah, blah, blah which a lot of people are saying. Uh, and I bet you so many players this week are going to be asked about Nova just because he's in the draw, just because right. he's back and he's in the draw. And this is going to take up, eat up so much of the conversation, just like it did in, in Australia. And at some point, this has to stop just because right. can we that, talk about the tennis? That's what I'm saying. Just like the lack and, and this fact that he sort of in his BBC interview left the door open to maybe getting vaccinated someday sort of still keeps this kind of will he won't he game going although it seems very unlikely he would get a vaccine at this point so after going this far with it 
Um, so anyway, so I'm just, I'm happy that he's back on court, I guess. And we talked about the tennis with him for a bit. I wish that the, this book, this chapter was firmly closed in, in a more final way, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's gonna be interesting to see how he, how he does and how, how crowds react to him. I'm guessing Dubai will be a relatively friendly place for him compared to some other places potentially right now. Um, it'll be interesting to see and how he looks too. We just haven't seen him on court and, how, and what kind of... Yeah, I think people here are going to happy to see him. I think that in general, Dubai has been a very open place. It's one of the first cities that opened. They rely on tourism here and and they, they took the decision early on of like, as long as we have the capacity and hospitals to handle whatever happens we're open and when you go on even the emirates website to book a flight or something first thing you see dubai is open for unvaccinated travelers dubai is open for this that blah 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 there's so many the city is the busiest i've ever seen it in my entire like 11 years of living here Hmm. and the the expo has been going on for months and it's been very successful and there's been millions of people visiting there's so many different things honestly every inch of the city right now has something going on so I think that they they're trying to op- they're operating in a way where, yeah, they're going to be happy that Novak's here. I don't think I don't think Novak's going to get booed playing here or anything. Right, which could have happened other places for his comeback, potentially for sure. So yeah, so there we go. So we will keep an eye on that. Anything else? Uh, re- other final thoughts on on Dubai or just sort of where tennis and the tours and press coverage of the tours uh, is at as we move on in February. Uh, not really. And the only thing I'm curious is because I know a lot of journalists are coming here. So from a very selfish perspective, I hope we get a chance to talk to the ATP comms people here to see if we can get our access back. Because I find it ridiculous that I can't go to like the outdoor gym and speak to coaches and players, but they come to a tiny press conference room indoors and speak to me. Like that doesn't make any sense to me right now. Yeah, I hope that this can be solved just because if we start setting a precedent of, oh, everything is back to normal except our access to these areas, then it, I feel like it's going to take us forever to get back that access. And it really does affect the way I do my job. Like one of the people I really wanted to speak to this past week was Thomas Viktorovsky, uh, yeah, coach, coach and yeah. Iga's current coach. And I wanted to chat to him. And honestly, I just never got the chance purely from the fact that when they walk off court, they go to areas that I just can't access. And I would have had to waste so much time just lurking somewhere to try and get him. You know, that's not ideal by any means. Same with like Penko's coach. I would have wanted to speak to him just to figure out like, why do you think she's doing better? What's up? What's happening? Blah, blah, how are you working with her mom? All of these things. Like he's been with her for a year and honestly, no one has spoken to this guy. Um, just these things. So that's what I hope will change moving forward just so we can try and get back to normal in terms of coverage. Definitely. But yeah. No, um, I don't think there's anything else. I have those same thoughts with Indian Wells. Like I, I'm going to Indian Wells and I don't 100% know what the situation is going to be in terms of access or player accessibility. And I mean, I'm the same place. and it's actually, yeah. it's affecting my decision too. Like I want to come and I technically I am probably maybe coming at least for the first few days, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to expect. Like I have no idea. Well, I hope to see you there. We lovely seeing you. It's been far too long. Far too long. I know. We haven't seen each other in over two years. This is uh, it's horrible. Horrible. <laughs> well, this was lovely. Even though that's, that is horrible, this catch up here is lovely. It's always Reem. Thank you very much for being on here. Uh, people should support Reem, who has been put, you put up some Patreon content during Dubai, right? Yeah, uh, I'm going to put some more. 
patreon.com slash reem abu Lail is where to find her there so please go do that and that's a also a reminder for us to thank you guys for listening for supporting ncr's patreon uh, which you can do at patreon.com slash no challenges rating want to thank our backers uh we thank every episode at the slam champ level susanna w sean mulroy mary carillo leah williams liz kennel jonathan weinbaum sean simeon james hindle antonio maycumber anna valinder timothy Liu, and ashley keel and our go backers pam shriver and jod and we have a couple new backers to thank also colleen and sarah pheasant so thank you to both of them for jumping on since our last episode and yeah thank you for listening bye reem see you soon hopefully bye. Bye.